Amen and amen. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to join me in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. How many of you have ever heard the little, it's like a children's rhyme. It's something you would have learned in Sunday school or church. And it goes like this. It's got a little bit of hand motions. But here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open. Can you finish it with me? Open the doors to see all the people, right? I got to tell you something. That's an inaccurate rhyme. And I'm not going to go cancel culture on you like they did with Dr. Seuss, okay? I'm not going to do that, but I want to encourage you to maybe think a little bit differently, such as, well, here is a building. It might have a steeple, but it's not the church. The church is the people. Well, we all know that in our minds, but so often we, we forget that in the way that we act and, and live as a church. And the problem that that brings is when the church is nothing more than a building, then the priorities of the church change. It becomes more important how many people are in the building than who is in the building. We start to care more about growing the numbers of the church than the people of the church. When the church is the building, priorities change. And it happens because I just read an article this week that of current church leaders, 5,000 church leaders were interviewed or surveyed. One out of five said that, that evangelism is not highly important to the church. And one out of six church leaders, current church leaders, said discipleship is not important, highly important in a church. And you understand the problem with that? Is when when the church itself says, yeah, telling people about who Jesus is and what he has done for them just really isn't highly important. And seeing people grow in more and more into the image of Jesus, that's not highly important. And the problem is, that's not what God's word says. Which is why as we go through this series of a biblical church, I don't want to tell you what nationally known church leaders and spiritual figureheads are saying about this is how to grow a church. I don't, I'm interested in that, but I honestly don't care nearly as much about what church leaders say as much as what the head of the church has already said. What the founder of the church has already given to us and what the one who bought and redeemed the church with his own blood, what his word says is far more important than what any other person who's leading a church could talk about today. So we've continued to come back and come back and come back to the word of God to say, what is a biblical church? And so far we've gone through three different characteristics. We've talked about worship. We exist for God's glory. That's why a church exists. The word of God, that the church gets its authority and its mission from the word of God, but then also prayer, where we repeat to God and we go back to God with his own word and say, we're calling on you to come through on your promised word on behalf of where we got to last week, on behalf of our biblical community. If you weren't with us last week, I I introduced the subject of biblical community, and and I mentioned a speech that was given by Mark Zuckerberg. He's he's the founder of Facebook, where, where he said that Facebook could become the new church, where Facebook could offer the same type of community to people that a church used to offer 
to people. But, but here's the thing, and we have, to, we have to know this and respond right away. Facebook can never be a church. They don't exist for the glory of God. They don't use the authority of the word of God. They're not in existence to make disciples of Jesus. They cannot be, a, Facebook cannot be a church, but well, sure it can offer community. But that's why we're not talking about a church offering community. We're offering, we're talking about a church that offers biblical community. And, and biblical community, not just the church, because some people can come to church and not receive biblical community. Some people have relegated church down to getting dressed up, driving to a building that may have a steeple, slipping into a seat without talking to anybody, standing to sing a couple songs, sitting down to hear the sermon, and slipping out the back door during a closing prayer without talking to anybody. That technically is church, the gathering. That is not biblical community, though. The church exists. Not so we simply sit in the same room at the same time to sing the same songs and hear the same sermon. Church is meant for us to do life together with Jesus at the center. We do life together with Jesus at the center. It's what we see in this early church. And we looked at these verses last week in Acts chapter number two. And we're going to spend our entire time there this evening or this morning. Acts chapter two. It won't, we won't go to the evening, just so you know. Uh, Acts chapter two, verse number 41 is where we're going to begin. If you have your Bibles open. Acts chapter two and verse number 41. And we want to look, look at how this early church experienced beautiful biblical community. Verse 41 says, those, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about three thousand souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul i'm sorry i've lost my place and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common verse 45 and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I can't tell you the number of times I've read that passage as we've studied through Bible college and working in a church, and this is often where we come back to what the early church looked like, and I have a hard time reading that church without my heart every time being amazed at the way this church just lovingly and beautifully cared for one another. But the more I read it now, the more it saddens me about what the current state of many churches are. What percentage of churches meeting today do you think could be described in these verses? I'd say very few. Many of today's churches could better be described by what Jesus says to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, which says, as a church, you have done and you are doing many good things, but you've left your first love. Churches who are doing the right things, but doing them routinely. Churches who have moved from relationship to religion. 
Churches who are still doing good works, but the reason is no longer because they love Jesus. I promise you there's many churches that will meet today. They'll gather and assemble. They'll worship and give. They'll help and sacrifice and listen to the word of God without any love for Christ. And in some cases, without any love for the other people in the room that they have gathered together with. And this is why the church needs to be devoted to a few things. Devoted to. And one of them fellowship biblical community so i have five thoughts just from from sharing uh through this acts chapter number two this passage in acts chapter number two leave your bibles open because we're just going to refer back to to a verse at a time but just five thoughts number one biblical community is focused on god not on the community individual Biblical community is focused on God. It's not focused on the community, and it's not focused on the individual. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, and they devoted themselves. It doesn't say they devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, God's word, and the fellowship, as we saw last week, God's inheritance, and the breaking of bread, that's God's sacrifice, and the prayers, that's God's sovereign working in their life. This church was devoted to God, and everything that leaves me in awe and wonder as I read this last, this last portion of Acts chapter 2, like, what a church. It all happened, not because they were devoted to the community necessarily, but because the community itself was devoted to God. And because they had a community devoted to God, the overflow of their devotion to God was a devotion to caring for the needs of one another because that's who God is. Last week, <clears throat> I shared that first message on biblical community, and Jay Roy and I talked for a little bit in the back. Now, I know many of you might know Jay, and, and uh, many of you may not know Jay Roy. So if you don't know Jay Roy, one word describes Jay, Robocop. He's like part man, part machine. Uh, he is 50 years old. He goes to Brazilian jiu-jitsu and he whips up on young guys. Um, he, I, think, I think he's got a torn ACL. He still beats people. He has had two meniscus repairs in his knees. He still beats people. And if it wasn't for COVID last year, he would have traveled to Las Vegas, competed in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament, and no doubt would have won his category. I have no doubt about that. But Jay was standing in the back and he's like, you know, Brian, He's like, you're talking about community. He said, the church should offer community, but if people don't find it in the church, they'll find it somewhere. He's like, my Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys, there's a community there. Not only do we get together to practice, he's like, but they have chat groups on texts. They, they go hang out together. It's like, people find community where they want to. But you know one thing? A Brazilian jiu-jitsu group of guys cannot offer, cannot find? Biblical community. Unless they're all believers, of course. We can find community in a lot of areas. You can find community on Facebook. What you cannot find on Facebook, what you cannot find outside of a church, outside of a group of committed believers, is biblical community. And you say, well, what's the difference between community and biblical community? Well, biblical community is where the truth of the gospel and the person of Jesus are both spoken into the hurts of our lives and the joys of our lives, the ups of our lives, the downs of our lives. In every area of our life, the truth of Jesus and the truth of the gospel is spoken into it. 
say, what do you mean by that? If you were to hang out with a group of just friends, maybe from work, maybe from other places, and, and, and the topic moves to your boss. Oh, my boss, he, they don't pay me enough and they underappreciate me. Start that conversation with a group of people. You know what you're going to hear? A whole bunch of people complaining about their bosses. A whole bunch of people who complain about being overworked and underappreciated. That is what we would find in community. People like, yeah, I, I know how you're... You know what a biblical community ought to find? Is that when someone brings up the fact that they are overworked and, and underappreciated, there should be someone who steps in. Yeah, but Colossians chapter 3 reminds us we don't actually work for men. We work for God. And God never underappreciates us. And if we're working for the Lord, then we should work, as the verse says, we should work heartily no matter what we receive in, in, in a reward because our true boss, he sees everything we do. He never misses a thing. And our true boss, well, he would, he would have sovereignly placed us in that spot under a boss who doesn't pay you enough and underappreciates you, possibly because he wants you to grow more like Christ, or maybe he wants your boss to be exposed to somebody who knows Christ. But what we do know is this, God's got you there because God wanted you there, and you could be there for his glory if you work unto God and not as on demand. Now that's a little bit different biblical community than just community group of men get together or a group of ladies get together and the topic changes to, well, let me tell, tell you about my spouse. And man, my spouse isn't meeting my needs and my spouse this. And you know what could very easily happen is everybody starts talking about how their spouse also lets them down. But in a biblical community, we're reminded, oh, there's only one perfect spouse. Jesus is the only one who will perfectly love and care for. And, and what he did is he took a spouse who didn't love him and he laid his life down to bring that spouse to himself to clean and wash and care for. Hey, your spouse might let you down, but your true spouse never will because we will spend eternity as the bride of Christ. That's a biblical community speaking the truth of the gospel into our hurts and into our needs. A biblical community should regularly, regularly return to the truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses, verse 18, that says this, every time you need to change, you don't go out and try to do better. You look at the one who has done it all. Glimpse into Jesus. Because the more you look at the glory of Jesus, the more you will look like the glory of Jesus. As we behold the glory of God, we are transformed to become more like the glory of God. It's not about go out and be better. It's about go look and glimpse and behold the one who has done better. That's the biblical community every one of us has to have. Otherwise, we're going to be no different from the world when difficult times come our way. Someone has got to speak truth into our lives because we're all focused on God, not on the community, and not on the individual. Number two, biblical community requires a singleness of heart, not a single location. 
A singleness of heart, not a single location. Verse 44 of Acts chapter 2 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You don't find true community just by being in the same place at the same time. I could prove it. I grew up in Chicago where there are two baseball teams, Cubs and White Sox. And I grew up a White Sox fan. I liked going to Wrigley Field because Wrigley Field is a really cool place to watch a baseball game. But every time I went to Wrigley Field, I would wear my socks stuff. I'd wear a socks jersey or a socks t-shirt. I was going to boldly let everybody know I might be in the same place as you, but we're not here for the same reason. You're cheering for the Cubs to win. I'm cheering for the Cubs to lose. There was not one time I ever went to Wrigley Field wearing my White Sox stuff where I did not get cussed out by some Cubs fan. Normally, Cubs fans are in a bad mood, though, because they lose all the time, right? So that's just the way it goes. But you could be in the same place at the same time and not have the same heart. I promise you this. If we could expose why people are sitting in this room and we could go to churches all over and we could start exposing hearts you would find that they there's people who might be in the same location but there's people who are in church today so that they don't feel guilty and then there are some people in church today because they do feel guilty and then there's some people who came to church today because they know they're going to ask god for something this week and so they're going to be like well i went to church on sunday so god you owe me and then there's going to be some people who show up for church because they felt like god blessed them and they owed god What if, oh, what, what if there was ever a Sunday where every single person walked in the back door and came to the same location with a singleness of heart? One reason why everybody is here, and that one reason is to know greater the love of God and to make the love of God known greater. Could you imagine how you would act differently if you walked in the back door and your whole purpose in coming to church today was I have got to show somebody the love of Christ that I have experienced. I've known it. I want to show it. Yet there would not be one person you would walk by without a smile on your face, without greeting them. No one would feel alone if we all walked in saying, I want to know and show the love of God. How different would it be? We go to our prayer we go to prayer and instead of checking our watches or looking to see real quick what the updates are on our phone we would all close our eyes and we would all lift our hearts to the lord saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven now father give us our daily bread oh we need you god to come through but we we know you will we are so confident you will. And, and as we close in, in that opening prayer, we stand up to sing. Oh, we sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God with our hands held high and tears running down our face and our hearts just overjoyed because we know who we are singing to and we have felt his love and we want to show his love to others. 
Oh, and then as the, as the preacher gets up, whoever it is, and opens the word of God, we take our Bibles and with anticipation saying, teach me more about the one who loves me the greatest. I want to know him more because I want to live more for him and show him. And, and, and as the, the service winds down, people don't run out the back doors to say, I've got to get home. I've got to get somewhere. But rather we stay and this room is filled with laughter and, and, and joy and, and prayers being prayed over one another. All because we might be in a single location, but far more important, we have a singleness of hearts. How different would church be if you came to make the love of God known? But most of us, we came to church because we're supposed to. Oh, may we come for his glory. Third, biblical community is about commitment, not about a calendar. Verse 46 of chapter 2 says, And day by day, day by day, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I'm not sure who made the statement that I read recently, but it, it really stuck to me. And I should have written down where I read it, but it's someone said this everybody wants friends. Nobody wants frequency. Everybody wants friends. Nobody wants frequency. Because frequency means inconvenience. Frequency requires a community mindset over an individualistic mindset. Most Americans don't have a community mindset. We have a very individualistic mindset. It's all about personal freedom. I'll do what I want when I want. No one's going to tell me. Not even the government's going to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. And that is the pinnacle of individual freedom, but it also makes it very difficult to enter into the good of a community when we're more worried about what's in it for me. People don't want to make a commitment to a community. Even, even as we have small groups offered, you know, what's regularly said is if I can make it, I'll be there. No one wants to make that. Well, I shouldn't say no one, but, but it's, it's, we'd rather say that than make a commitment to, to be somewhere. But we don't do that to things that we really love. I mean, I love sports. I'm sure many of you do as well. I loved coaching the opportunities that I had to coach. But if you ever want to be a part of a sports team, you have to make a commitment to a group and you have to lose your individual freedom. I, I will be there for practice. I will be there to travel to the game. I will be there so that the team can grow and I will lose my freedoms in order for the team to grow. We get that in sports. We get that with our jobs. But man, when it comes to a commitment to a community of believers outside of Sunday morning, like, yeah, if I can, I will. But see, biblical community is not about a calendar. I'm trying to get all of my community done on Sunday morning. It's, it says, well, whenever you need me, I'll be there. Whenever. Just call. It goes back to that question that I asked you last Sunday. And if you weren't here, outside of your pastors and your family, who in this church would you call if you needed something in an emergency? And even more than that, who would call you 
in their emergency outside of your family. Because that shows you the level of, or it might show you the lack of, biblical community you're actually experiencing, even in a church. Next, number four, biblical community involves generous giving, but also humble receiving. Verse 45 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We haven't gotten there yet, but one of the characteristics we'll get to in, in a biblical church is generosity. Generosity has to be a characteristic of a biblical church because we're praying for our biblical community. And because we're praying for our biblical community, we have to take responsibility for our biblical community. We can't pray our Father give us our daily bread and every time we get something, stick it in our pocket and walk the other way. If we're praying on behalf of others, we have to know the needs of others and be involved in the needs of others. I know some people, I've heard it a few times with some people like, I'd give more, but man, you don't understand the level of debt I'm experiencing right now. And I get that. That's, that's rampant. That's all across. But you understand that debt is because it's been about us. J.D. Greer said recently, I heard him, he didn't, it's not original to him, but I heard him repeat it. He said, you can either live generously and give sparingly or live sparingly in order to give generously. It all comes down to this question. Is God giving to you or is God giving through you? Here's why that's important. Biblical community is how God cares for his children. He answers prayer through people. A few Sundays ago, I mentioned in a an encounter that I had with my, my high school Bible teacher and while he was praying to, to get whether he should give money to somebody the Lord was moving in my heart to give money to him and, and when we met at the front of the church him caring for the need of another the Lord moving in my heart to care for his need and it was so cool to be a part of that but I want to tell you like a completely different story I was sitting on the front row of our, the balcony of our church. It was a Wednesday evening, and our pastor stood up and said, we're going to take a special offering this evening. There's a family who, who was devastated by a house fire. They've lost everything. We're going to take a special offering for them. I was a Christian school teacher making like very little money, working two jobs, having a growing family. I know both of the boys were born and, and were young, and, and money was, was tight. But I'm like, I mean, you got to give to a family who's, who's losing everything. And so I took my wallet out, and I had a $10 bill and a $1 bill. And as clear as day, the Lord said, give the 10. And I looked at it, and I'm like, but you don't understand, God. That's, I know $10 today can go up with a smoke like that. We can go to Dunkin' Donuts and spend $10. Back then, $10 was a lot of money for our family. And I'm like, yeah, but God, $10, I don't really... One seems like nothing, but 10 is a lot. They prayed for the offering, and the plate started coming. I still have my wallet in my hand, like, which one am I going to give? And that plate finally came, and I took out the $1 bill, threw it in, and passed the plate. And when I put my wallet in my back pocket, the Lord, the conviction of God was so strong, it was like, get up and go put that $10 in the offering plate. I told you to. And I was like, No. Conviction was strong. The pastor says, 
All right, everybody, it's time for the Bible study. Let's take your Bibles out. I, I, I'm not making this up. I know you're going to think I'm totally making this up. I'm not making this up. This is, this is the God's honest truth. I picked my Bible up, and I opened it. And to the page that I opened was a $10 bill. And I sat there as embarrassed as I had ever been. Because I knew exactly what God told me to do. And I said, I can't. And I was telling God, you can't take care of me like I can take care of me. And God said, you want to see? I was sharing that with our teenagers not long after that took place. And my mom came to me and she said, Brian, can I tell you something? She, I said, sure. She said, I, I put that $10 in your, in your Bible two weeks ago because the Lord told me to. The Lord had $10 waiting for me two weeks earlier. And when it came time for me to give, I couldn't. I really try hard. Every time the Lord says, do I really try hard to do it because I know there's no way I can take care of myself better than he could take care of me. And it's already in motion. God ever moves in your heart to give to someone, to give to the church, to give to a need, to take care of this person. Don't hesitate. Follow through. He will provide. Because if you're praying, give us our daily bread, you're going to have abundance so that you can take care of somebody's need. But I also say this. I also know in this church, there are people who will sometimes say, I'll give, but I, I'm not going to ask for anything. I won't ask for help. I don't want to be a bother. I'm not going to tell anybody my need. And I want to show you why, the, why that is so damaging to the cause of Christ. For us to say, I'm not going to ask anyone to help me. Because last, number five, biblical community grows believers and draws unbelievers. Verse 46 says, And day by day, the, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Biblical community is where believers grow. It's, it's all throughout the New Testament. I just have a few verses here from Ephesians that talks about how the body grows when the body is all, each part is working properly. Your spiritual growth is directly linked to your level of biblical community. Just telling you, you will not grow in isolation like God wants you to grow. He wants you in community. But that's not where I want to spend this last portion of time. I want you to see that it's not only where believers grow, it's where unbelievers are drawn to. In John chapter 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's the Last Supper. And he makes a statement that we're all familiar with. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, that is not a love for the world. That is a love for other disciples. And that love is an extreme love because it's as I have loved you. How much did Jesus love his disciples? He laid his life down for them. Now you love others the way I've loved you. People will know that. But we, we, we would struggle to do that if it's more than just showing up in the same place at the same time for the same service. 
There's got to be more, and, and there is more. Because in John 17, as Jesus is praying his final prayer before he goes to the cross, he's talking to the Father, and he begins his prayer asking for himself to be glorified so he could glorify the Father, asking for his disciples, and then he shifts in verse number 20, and he begins praying for us, those who would believe because of the word of the disciples. And here's what it says in verse 20. This is Jesus speaking. I do not ask for these, meaning these 11 disciples with me. I've already prayed for them. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We're believing in, the, we're believing in Jesus because of the disciples' word, right? Here we go. What does he say? That they may all be one. Huh, that's us. We're supposed to be one. We are, are supposed to be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Whoa. The church is supposed to experience the same unity as the Father and Son? Do, do you feel that? Do you feel that kind of unity? He goes on and he says, that they also may be in us. Ha! That goes back to what we said at the beginning. It's not a commitment to one another. It's a commitment to God. And when we're both committed to God and we're in God, then we're in God together. So we're one. Why? So that the world may believe. That you have sent me. This church needs people to give generously, and this church needs people to open up their arms and drop the pride and say, Help me, because the world needs to see this church love one another to a degree that they have never seen before. And as they do, they are drawn to that love and that unity to say, I want that. But when we're in need and we say, no, I'll be okay, I'll take care of myself, that's what the world does. That's already what the world does. We need people to give generously so that people can receive openly so that the world goes, wow, I want that. I got to close, but in Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church, he made a statement that I've never forgotten, and we read this book in 2018. But I remember him making a comparison, and he said something about gang members often show a greater devotion to one another than church members. And I remember him saying that, and I'm like, what the? Come on, that just can't be right. Gang members sometimes show a greater devotion to one another than church members. And as I was working on the sermon this week, I have this friend who lives in Dallas, Texas, and we used to work with inner city teens together at the previous church that I was at. And so I called him, I'm like, hey, Al, I've never asked you this question before. Were you ever in a gang? He chuckled. He's like, yeah. What? I said, what gang were you in? He said, the Latin Kings. I was like, can I ask you some questions? He's like, sure. And I didn't tell him why. I said, um, how did you join the gang? Like, how did you get in? He's like, well, my best friend's brother was in the Latin King. So I was just hanging out with my best friend's brother. And I kept meeting all these people who were in the gang. And I, I wanted to be like them. Okay. Why? Like, what did, it, what, what did the gang have? He's like, I was only 14. 
but I wanted to be a part of something bigger than just me. Okay? What appeal was there? And he's like, oh, that's easy. In literal, literal words, that was easy. I wanted somewhere to belong. He said, I could go there and I found acceptance and identity. You found acceptance and identity in the gang. Yeah, I could be who I want. I could be who I was. But also by being a part of the gang, I had a new identity because I knew I had guys that had my back. What did the gangs do? Like, what, is it, what do you do in a gang besides crime? He's like, well, we, uh, we would basically meet every morning. We had, we had our neighborhood. He's like, 22 blocks was the Latin King neighborhood. We could meet anywhere we wanted to. We would meet in the same place almost every morning. We'd hang out. We'd decide where we were going to meet that evening, which, which one of like four or five places they would go in their neighborhood. We would meet there. He's like, really? Besides the criminal part, the gang was just like, you just were with your friend. You were with, your, you were with guys that you wanted to be with. I'm like, did you like really love these guys? And his words, bro, I would have died for them. He also told me something interesting that doesn't really have doesn't really go along with anything but he said the latin kings they have a crown as their symbol it's like it's got five points of a crown love honor sacrifice obedience righteousness wait what love honor sacrifice obedience righteousness he's like to be honest we didn't do the whole righteousness thing <laughs> i'm like i'm like but that is and like, as he's talking, I'm like in my mind, like we're talking about a biblical community of the church and he's talking that he met people that he wanted to be like and, and, and he was, it was appealing to him because he wanted to be something that was bigger than just him. And when he got there, he found acceptance and he found an identity and he was basically given a new family, people he would die for. And I'm like, oh my soul, ow. And I started to tell him, why I asked him those questions about what I was teaching our church and what Francis Chan said in this book, Letters to the Church. And I just said, oh my goodness. How many people ever see Christians and say, man, I've met this person and this person and this person and this person. I want that. Because if they did, they would come to Jesus and guess what they would find? Acceptance ha! and a new identity ha! and a new family. What? Love built on love, honor, sacrifice, obedience, and righteousness. What? Oh, my goodness. Gangs offer violence and crime, and people are dying to be a part. The church should offer love and unity. And when people think about the church, they're like, I don't want any part of that hypocrisy. We're missing it. Because we're missing true biblical community. So what does that mean? Run through. We need to be a church that points one another back to Jesus. We talked about that. We need to be a church with a single mission that we exist for the glory of God as a disciple-making community. We need to be a church that is committed to one another no matter the time, the day, or the need. We need to be a church that is committed to giving and receiving on behalf of one another. And we need to be a church whose love for one another and whose unity in Christ is so strong, unbelievers want in. Well, I guess we have a chance this week, church, to prove it. How much love and how much unity in our biblical community will the world see